All right, welcome to the Book Club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. Today's guest is Doug Marshall, who is a veteran real estate professional of nearly 40 years, more than 30 of which related to financing apartments and other commercial real estate. For the past decade, he has also invested in several rental properties. He is the author of the new release, Mastering the Art of Commercial Real Estate Investing, How to Successfully Build Wealth and Grow Passive Income from Your Rental Properties. Welcome to the show today, Doug. How are you doing? I'm doing great, uh, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Anytime I get to talk about real estate and talk with the author, it's, it's, it's more than a fun time for me. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, Doug, before we you know, get into things, I'd like to start with a brief explanation of your real estate experience and where you've come from. I'd be happy to. You know, when a, a podcast host such as yourself asks me to introduce myself to their audience, I typically state the highlights of my resume, which I think is kind of a, a boring way to introduce yourself. So today <laughs> I, I'm not going to do that except to say that I have almost 40 years of commercial real estate experience and most of it's on the financing side of the business. And for the last 11 years, I've been investing in commercial real estate. But I'd rather tell you my story from a different perspective, uh, one that I think a lot of uh, people in your audience will be able to, to relate to. So here goes. For the, for the first 24 years as a commercial real estate professional, I was on that never-ending hamster wheel of low-paying jobs. I was living paycheck to paycheck and I was just barely getting by financially. And I realized that something had to change. So in 2003, I started my own business, Marshall Commercial Funding. And for the first time in my career, I was making good money, Scott. And boy, that felt really good. But even so, I knew there was no way that I was going to retire well. You, you see, I could do the, the math and I understood I was too close to retirement to make up for the hard lean years. I realized it was very likely I may never be able to retire at all. But at the same time, I watched my real estate uh, clients prosper. Uh, their liquidity and their net, net worth were growing rapidly as a result of their real estate investments. So 11 year, years ago, I started investing in commercial real estate. And today, not only could I retire if I chose to, but I could do so comfortably. And this year, for the first time, uh, the passive income from my rental properties when added to my future social security checks significantly exceeds my personal expenses. And once passive income comfortably exceeds your personal expenses, that's, that's my definition of financial freedom. So that's my story. And what you might be thinking, why am I telling you this? I believe that many of, of you listening to me right now are either living paycheck to paycheck or you realize that you aren't going to retire well. And I'm here to tell you, if I can do it, you can do it too. That's extremely powerful, Doug. I, I love that story. I think that's you know why most of us choose real estate as our investment choice to ultimately you know accomplish that financial freedom goal. So, how did it feel once you you ran those numbers with your retirement? Were, were you you know excited? Did you celebrate? Yes, I did. I, you know, you, you, you gradually see where you're coming from as far as your passive income is concerned from your, from your rental properties and, and from other investments that you have. And then though I'm not taking social security, you get that, that annual um, uh, mailer from, from uh, the social, social security administration saying, this is where your retirement would be uh, if you were to retire today and you add those up. 
And when you see that it's growing over time, that passive income, uh, it's really exciting. It's a, it's a different feel that you know that you're financially secure. That's amazing. Well, congratulations. And I'm, I'm glad you went out on your own back in 2003. And that's, that's quite the risk. But I, I really want to start with, you know, what led you to write the book, Mastering the Art of Commercial Real Estate Investing, which comes out on December 18th of 2018? Yes. Well, thank you for asking. I, um, about 11 years ago, uh, 2008, I started blogging. And um, my, my blog post came out every two weeks. And I was trying to write something of good, uh, good content uh, every two weeks for the last 11 years. And I realized about two years ago that if I, I pulled all my, um, my evergreen content, that which was timeless, together, that I'd have a pretty good um, uh, uh, group of articles that could be uh, organized in such a fashion that I could put it into a book. And so that's what I've done. I've, uh, I've taken many of the blog posts that I've written over the years and I assembled it and put it into a logical uh, order in the book. And I realized I had a few things that I still needed to write on to complete a, uh, a, a perfect outline of the book. So I, I wrote on, I wrote on uh, those particular topics in the last uh, six months to a year. And I feel like it's, it is a good compilation of interesting articles that would help uh, the new investor, commercial real estate investor to succeed at investing in commercial real estate. And I think that's exactly what it does as we were talking about, you know, when we got on the phone the first time we talked, uh, you have an amazing website where I, I love, you know, we're both, you know, book people, we love reading. And I love how you have like a, a summary or a synopsis of the book that you read. And, and it's kind of like your online libraries. And what I really liked about your book was, I think you summed it up perfectly. But to me, it was, it was a complete book, right? And, and, you talk about certain foundational building blocks that I think everybody needs. And I love how you build that off with the education of commercial. Um, so, you know, as we know, there's hundreds of books written on commercial real estate investing. So what makes this book any different from the others in, in your view? Well, I think there are three things. I think you just hit on one of them and it has to do with, um, I think, and I would like your input on this, Scott, but I think what I I'm writing on, in the book are really uh, principles of, mm -hmm. of uh, successful uh, real estate investing. And I, the books that I've read on commercial real estate, more are uh, kind of like a how-to manual of how you go about investing in, in commercial real estate. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, a, it's just a different mindset. Mine is trying to give readers an understanding of how do you succeed? What are the, the success principles in being a commercial real estate investor uh, versus other books that I've read on, on the same topic are more like a checklist of, of do's and don'ts as far as what you need to do um, uh, to, um, to be able to uh, invest in commercial real estate. Would you, would that, does that make sense to you? Is that, would I have a correct interpretation there? Yes. Perfect sense. I, I think, you know, so as a former health teacher, I used to teach goal setting and, and I never really, I love stories, right? If, if you can do some type of parable and really capture, you know, a reader or a student's attention. And the way I used to do it was, you know, if we're starting to build a house, you know, what do you start with? Okay. The foundation. 
right? I mean, yeah. you can you can go crazy with the amount of ways to invest in real estate, flipping, you know, buying a hold, you know, wholesale. There's many vehicles, but if you all have that foundational principles that you have, you know, listen to that book, you're going to be successful, right? Because yeah. it either meets your criteria after that or it doesn't, and then you can move on to the next property. And, and that's what I love about your book. So that's the first thing. And I'll go quickly through the other two. But, yeah. you know, most real estate investing books are written from the perspective of the author. And that, and that makes perfect sense. My book, on the other hand, is written from the perspective of my many clients. Over my career, I've, I've had dozens of uh, successful high net worth uh, investors that I've worked with. And <clears throat> I've learned a lot from them and, and what to do and what not to do. So the book is a compilation of their wisdom, uh, not just my own personal experiences in real estate investing. And the mm -hmm. third thing I think that makes this book a little different than other books on uh, real estate investing is this book is written per from the perspective of someone whose career has been financing commercial real estate. And, you know, almost all the other books are from the in investor's perspective. But I believe to be a successful real estate investor, you really need to have an understanding backwards and forwards of the impact of financing has on the success of your rental properties. So I, I probably spent a lot more time explaining um, uh, the guidelines and the do's and don'ts of of financing so that you have a, a, a firmer grasp on that particular uh, part of the of investing in commercial real estate. Mm, well said. And that's, that's the stance I've been taking. And I, I know we talked about the CCIM, you know, courses as well and doing the before financing and after financing cash flow. Mm -hmm. And I just went to a weekend away in California with, um, you know, George Antone who wrote the banker's code. We, we interviewed him and it's the same thing. It's right. He, he talks about, it's not the asset that makes you wealthy. It's that underlying uh, capital stack and how you, you know, put the correct financing. And I, I love that approach because it, it really is the financing, you know, and that can either make or break your property. And if you, you do yeah. it correctly, you know, you know, that's, you're a lot more comfortable. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Now I love how you called it, you know, mastering the art of, so is, is commercial real estate an art or is it more of a science? Well, I see it more of as uh, more of an art. And the reason why is, is I've come to realize that those that I've come to know who've excelled in commercial real estate, they, um, it's, they realize it's more than just crunching the numbers. Uh, they, they understand you need to have a, a firm grasp of how to value real estate and how leveraging a property uh, with debt will influence the property's re return and, and a variety of other things that you have to do for, uh, so, you know, getting into the number side of the business. But commercial real estate investing is, is really a lot more than just that. Uh, I've come to realize that th those successful real estate investors I've had over the years, um, they develop a really kind of a subjective uh, intuitive feel about a property. They don't look at the potential acquisition as it is at the moment. Rather, it's all about creating a vision for the property. If, you know, if it were renovated and managed correctly, so it's also about understanding market trends and perceiving how a, a neighborhood is trending and developing an awareness of where we are in the real estate market cycle. The name, just a few factors worth knowing. Uh, and these factors or these parameters are far more subjective than objective in scope. And that's why I titled the book, Mastering the Art of Commercial Real Estate Investing. It really is more of an art than it is a science. Mm -hmm. 
I agree. Now, about 10 years ago, you started investing in rental properties. So what indicators led you to jump into real estate then and not sooner? Well, I think you have to go back to my original story. Um, I had in 2003, I went out on my own. It was an incredibly good decision. I look back on it. it was, at the time, it was very scary to, to kind of to you know start your own business. Um, I really had no desire to, but I just felt compelled to because I realized I financially wasn't going to be able to to retire well if I didn't uh, pick up my income. And so, as I said uh, before, I saw that my uh, real estate investor clients were doing incredibly well because I I had investors that. Uh, would come to me uh, from year to year. They might own a dozen different properties or more. I have one right now that owns 30 plus properties. And so I would have to update their financial statement on a, a regular basis. And I could see just how much uh, their net worth and liquidity were increasing over a very short period of time. And I realized that if I'm going to ever succeed to be able to retire well, I'm, I need to invest in commercial real estate. And that was my motivation for doing it. That's great. And, you know, as someone who's fond of looking at real estate through a lender's approach, one of the best pieces of advice, and I'll have to ask you about this, was as a broker or someone who's lining up the capital, you have one of the best views, right? As the investor comes to you and you can see that, and that's that light. So I love that's how, you know, you, you got started. Uh, did you ever, you know, think about doing it at a younger age or is it? Oh, yes. I, I would love to have done it earlier because I, you know, I'm 66 right now. So I didn't start until 55. And I, you know, I wish that I, was, I would have been able to start like when I was in my 30s or maybe even my 40s. And where I would be today would be um, far better than I am right now. Um, no doubt in my mind. I also think, you know, Scott, that um, those people that are real estate professionals today especially if they're on the brokerage side of the business, um, it would be really uh, wise of them to say, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to find a, a client that I like and he likes me and I'm going to take my, my commission that I make on the, the, the uh, working for this particular individual who's just purchased a property and ask if I could put that, that commission uh, into the deal as equity. And um, because if, if you, you know, you just think about it, if, if you're in your thirties at the time and you, and, and you just invested in one deal, just your commission that you would have made off of that one uh, transaction, but you do that one time every year for, for 30 years, where do you think you're going to be when you're in your sixties? You're going to be financially well off because uh, not every, every deal is going to work out well, but the vast majority will. And uh, you will do extremely well over the years as those um, little bits of equity grow over time. Mm. That is some wise advice, Doug. I, I love that. It's that slow and consistent approach. You know, it's instead of trying to climb the mountain day one, it's yep. just set it, forget it here and there. And you said not every deal is going to go well. So I love, you know, you said you had four lessons that you learned from investing in your loser property. You mind telling us about those? Yeah, I'll be happy to. <laughs> I want to let you in on a little secret, Scott. Uh, not every commercial real estate property I invest in turns out to be a home run. 
Now that I get, I got that confession off my chest, you know, maybe some of you can uh, relate, but in the summer of 2007, you know, which that really, if you think about it, that turned out to be the absolute peak of the last real estate cycle. I, along with a a like-minded group of investors purchased a 32 unit apartment located in a small town. And at the time it seemed like it would be a good investment. It had large unit sizes. There were one story buildings. It was located in a nice quiet little town. And it even had the potential down the road uh, to convert to condominiums. And I was thinking at the time, hey, what could go wrong? Well, it turned out that a lot of things could go wrong, most of which uh, could not have been predicted by the most knowledgeable of real estate investors. And to my great relief, we sold this property a few years ago. And from the vantage point of time, I now realize that I did learn four lessons. and, And these are those four lessons. First of all, market timing is everything. You know, the old adage that says you make your money on an investment when you purchase it, not when you sell it, is very true. Uh, This investment had very little chance to perform well because we simply paid too much for it. We bought this property at the very peak of the real estate cycle. And if we had purchased purchased it a year or two earlier uh, at a much less inflated price, this property would probably have uh, performed admirably. So that was the first thing, uh, you know, the... um, Market timing is everything. The second one, there's a reason why properties in small markets have higher cap rates. You know, when the economy went bust in 2008 and unemployment soared and vacancy rates rose and rents flattened, in some places they actually declined. You know, as bad as this was in the large metropolitan areas, it was far worse in the small towns, which had higher vacancy rates and struggled more significantly with rents concessions. And when the commercial real estate market finally turned, in the large cities, it was still another year or two before the small town uh, that our property was located in began to see occupancy rates rise and modest rent growth again. So that's the second one. The third one is never underestimate the cost of deferred maintenance. You know, when we purchased this property, it was a value add play. And so when we uh, purchased it, we, we thought we had enough of a, a sizable war chest for uh, set aside for capital improvements. And reality was we weren't even close. Uh, we, when we sold the property, I'm sure the buyer was thinking that all he had to do to make this property perform well was to tackle all the deferred maintenance. And, and he probably didn't know how much money we'd already socked away. It, it, it really sucked all of our cash. So that's a, the third thing. Never underestimate the cost of deferred maintenance. And then finally, uh, pay close uh, attention to your on-site manager. You know, the old adage, you get what you inspect, not what you expect is very true. And over the years we had eight, uh, over the eight years we owned the property, we had uh, three different on-site managers and we had to fire the first two. And each started out well managing the property, but over time their performance was highly correlated to how well we monitored them. And once we began to trust how well they were managing the property, the property's performance began to slowly go downhill. So. Uh, the thing that I've learned is that you get what you inspect, not what you expect. So those are the four things that I learned from that loser property. By the way, Scott, we didn't do too badly on the property. We ended up with a, a 7% internal rate of return on the property. So we didn't lose money, but if we'd have taken that same money um, and put it into the stock market at that particular point in time, we'd have done far better. Mm, definitely. No, well, that's, that's good. I mean, you know, not many people can say they, you know, didn't lose money while still getting out ahead. I think that's, that's an important 
life lesson and you learned, I think, probably the top four lessons that, you know, every real estate investor, you know, should know. And I think as, you know, as someone who lends himself, I find out it's, it's typically, you know, people underestimate that CapEx and how long it takes. So what do you do now when you look at investments, you know, to, to bypass, you know, getting hurt on the CapEx expenditures? Well, um, I think, you know, that's a good question. I, I would think that we, well, what I try to do is to make sure I, that we have enough money set aside uh, mm. uh, that we, we don't go in uh, too lean. We did okay. uh, on a couple of occasions early on and now we really do have a, a sizable war chest um, that we, that we try to have on every property because the only type of properties that I try to buy are value added plays. I don't try to buy, you know, a, a turnkey type property where you, you know, everything's going well and it's in good condition and, and uh, you know rents are fine, so yeah. everything I try to invest in is value add, which means that you really have to be very aware of of uh, of the costs necessary to get a property back up to a certain level. Great. Now, this is an offhand question. So, as a lender, what does that look like? Do you do you say you know I'm putting my lending hat on? Hey, you know our group of guys who's investing in this property, we're going to need six months of you know, principal, interest, taxes, insurance, and is that how you look at it? Or do you, I know every property is dependent, but do you have like a rule of thumb that you like to use? Well, um, a rule of thumb would not be, yes, uh, Scott, I do have a a rule of thumb, but it isn't based on that perspective. It would be more or less uh, uh, walking the property, getting an understanding of uh, what just, just by walking the property, what, what you think is, is needed right up front. Mm-hmm. And you'll say, okay, this property really needs, uh, let's just say $10,000 a unit to get it back up to snuff. And so you, before you actually uh, do a complete walkthrough of the property and have uh, people that um, are, are, that you uh, use to actually give you um, a better set of numbers than just pulling the, the rule of thumb off the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the chart, so to speak. Uh, you at least have it in your mind. I think this, this property is going to need, uh, you know, a certain amount. And then there might be some properties you look at and you say, you know, this property is not really in that bad a condition. I think we can probably get by with like, maybe let's say three or 4,000 a unit just to be able to do it. And so it's something just a rough ballpark by just walking through the property the first time and then hopefully what you ha- have happen is, is that when you have your inspector, your uh, general contractor type of inspector going out and, and looking at every unit and, and walking the property, look at the exteriors and, and the roofs uh, and, the, and the parking lot, that they will come up with a much more refined list of what needs to be done to get the property up to a certain standard that you want. Great. No, it's another, you know, piece of education that if you just read one extra book or listen to one extra podcast, you could sidestep those big mistakes. So thank you very much for sharing those, you know, four lessons you learned. I want to switch over to some, some of the principles and, you know, some of the laws that you have in your book. So what are the six immutable laws of real estate investing? Well, um, the interesting thing to me, uh, Scott, is that, uh, my real estate investors, most of them don't know one another. Uh, and, and yet they all have 
similar characteristics. Uh, they, they go about investing differently, but they really have certain, certain things that they do consistently among the group. And, and one of them is, is they always insist on a margin of safety. In other words, the goal is to buy the property that's under, underperforming the market so that with a change of ownership uh, that they can, uh, they, they have the ability to, that they already know that the property is, is performing below market. So they're always looking for that, that upside potential. Uh, that's what they're looking for. And there are a lot of properties out there and, and a lot of uh, properties uh, owners are say that uh, this is a value added play. In reality, it's not a value added play. It's an overpriced property at market, you know, or, or below or above market as far as the, uh, the value is concerned. So they're always looking for an, uh, a margin of safety. The second, thing they, they'll tell me is that this time is never different. You know, the four most dangerous words in, in investing is this time is different. <laughs> so, uh, whenever someone starts saying that, you just need to run away from that investment type. Uh, <laughs> and then number three is be, wait, uh, be patient and wait for the fat pitch. You know, it's a, it's a baseball analogy and a, a pitcher behind on the count needs to get the next pitch over the plate. He knows that and more importantly, the batter knows that. And a good batter just waits for the fat pitch. And in commercial real estate, the wise investor waits patiently for those investments that have the potential for being home runs. And that sometimes means you have to pass on a lot of different properties before you can find that, that right property. We, uh, right now, I'm investing in a property that's um, originally had an asking price of $7.5 million. Uh, and I'm just a, one of the small investors in the, in the group. I'm going to have uh, some equity in it, but uh, probably about 10%. And um, this property, we made an offer at uh, 6 million five and not because that's what it would take for us to, to feel comfortable with that deal. And we lost, we lost it. It went to somebody else that offered significantly more. And, you know, 60 days went by and uh, we get a call back saying, uh, are you still interested in buying this property? And we said, yeah, but at 6,000,005, million five, not at 7,000,005. million five. And they said, okay. And then once we did our due diligence, we saw that there were some other um, issues with deferred maintenance and we lowered it to 6.4 million. And so we were able to get, and at 6.4 million, that property is, it's going to be a, a nice cash cow for us. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going to do well on that property. But we, we uh, did not, you know, feel like we had to, you know, concern ourselves uh, with uh, buying this property at what the, the, the seller wanted to sell it for. We were willing to wait and to let it pass. And we did, and it came back to us. And that's a perfect example of being patient and mm -hmm. waiting for the fat pitch. Number four is be contrarian. Uh, you know, humans are prone to the herd instinct. When everyone is buying, they're buying. And when everyone is selling, they're selling. And try not to follow the herd and you'll likely do better than most investors. Uh, and number three is be leery of leverage. Here I am a lender and I'm telling you to be leery of leverage, uh, but don't over leverage your properties. Uh, you know, I think uh, you look back on the Great Recession, those who over leveraged their property lost their properties. They had to, you know, they, they gave them back to the bank. And if you could just um, make sure that, that if, uh, let's say uh, we're going to a, the next recession, which is probably, it's inevitable, it's going to happen one of these days. You should try to make sure that 
your property uh, could withstand a significant um, increase in vacancy, like maybe on an, uh, uh, a property, let's say an apartment, maybe you want to have a make sure that it can go to a 15% vacancy rate. What happens when your property goes to 15%, which is a very high vacancy in our market? Um, does it still cash flow? Does it does it pay the mortgage? And if it does, then you're fine. If not, then maybe you've over leveraged the property. And then number six is never invest in something you don't understand. If you don't understand the investment, you shouldn't be investing in it. And that's the way I am with the stock market. I got out of the stock market um, a number of years ago. I just don't understand why it, it does what it's doing today. It seems to me <laughs> like it's way overpriced. And so I'm no longer uh, investing in the stock market. But I do understand commercial real estate, and that's where I'm putting all my, the vast majority of my investments are in commercial real estate. So those are the six things that I, I see that are my, my investors do on a regular basis. That's great. That's, that's a, a sign that I think everybody needs to print out and hang on their office wall. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so what about, you know, success in commercial real estate to investors? You, you have five habits of highly successful commercial real estate investors. Do you mind sharing those? Yeah. Uh, they, I found that most of my investors had all five of these, sometimes only four, but generally these are the things that they, they uh, consistently had among the group. They had a, a simple approach to analyzing commercial real estate opportunities you know, each investor has his own methods of analyzing a deal, but surprisingly, most have a, a relatively simple set of parameters that they use as their guidelines for making go, no-go decisions for purchasing real, real estate. Mm -hmm. And rarely do they employ the more sophisticated methods of evaluating um, uh, evaluations such as like net present value or uh, IRR, internal rates of return. They, mm -hmm. they could do it, you know, on the back, back of a napkin almost. So they, they have a simple approach to analyzing commercial real estate. Number two, they have a big picture approach to investing. They don't get caught up in the minutia of the deal. Uh, rather, they take a step back and look at the big picture or the 30,000 foot view in order to effectively make up the right decision. Uh, and as I say, it's more of an art than a science for them. And, and they're able to pull the trigger much faster than those who like to overanalyze their opportunities. Number three, they, they listen to a core group of, of advisors. You know, they, some successful real estate investors go it alone, but most rely on their own, on, not solely on their own expertise. They usually have a, a team of advisors. Uh, they realize that the, their area of expertise, though valuable, is limited, and, which requires that they rely on the proven counsel of others. And so you might have on your, on their real estate team, they might have like two or three more people that they, they really uh, rely upon. And one might be a real estate broker or an attorney or an accountant or a, a mortgage broker, or it could be a general contractor or a property manager. There's a, a list is kind of endless, but those are kind of the, the, the most obvious ones. And they, again, they usually have no more than two to four advisor making up their advisory group. And, uh, but they, they really do uh, lean on those people uh, to make sure that they're investing wisely. Number four is they monitor their investments regularly. You know, successful investors uh, vary greatly on, on how involved they are in the day-to-day -day affairs of their properties. You know, some are totally hands-on. Uh, they enjoy the property management side of the business. 
but most delegate the day-to-day -day decisions to property management company of some sort. Uh, but all highly successful commercial real estate investors uh, closely monitor their, their properties uh, monthly operating statement. You know, back on that, uh, that uh, saying I told you about, you get what you inspect, not what you expect. They intuitively understand that. They, they, they usually focus on two or three metrics, uh, usually the vacancy rate, maybe capital repairs, and the last time rents were raised. But they have their own set of parameters that they, that they focus in on. And then number five, they're, they're always seeking out new opportunities. You know, a common thing among uh, successful real estate investors is, as, is that they are never in the market for a new property, but they're always in the market uh, uh, for new opportunities. Uh, they are continually keeping their eyes and ears open for another good investment. Uh, the point of, of this habit is that whether they are in the market to buy more properties or not, they want others to consider them a serious player so when the right property comes along, they will not, uh, you know, they'll be notified of the opportunity. And, and most uh, investors that I, that I know really enjoy uh, investing. It's, it's like they, they can't imagine not doing it. So even when they get into their, their 80s and they're well off financially, don't need to do it, they do it just because they enjoy the hunt, so to speak. I love that. I love how you've, you know, gathered those highly successful commercial, you know, tidbits or success, you know, tips. And, you know, I think that's, that's, you know, why we read books, right? If we break it down to a basic level, it's, it's, we have, you know, almost 40 years of your experience and not only your experience, Doug, but the experience of others that you worked with. And now we have it in a beautiful, easy to read format. I, I love that, you know, cause right, right there when you were speaking, I'm like, Oh, this, this is a good tip. I'm like, this, oh, this is another good one. So I appreciate that very much. <laughs> hey, you know, and so I just had a quick question on one of those tips and this has to do with overanalyzing. And I've, I've seen that before, especially old school investors. Like if, if they can't pencil out on the back of a napkin, they're not going to do it. Yes. There's some, you know, higher level financing that has to go on, you know, with the Excel sheets and everything else, but at a basic level, they do that. So, what's, what's your advice for someone that, you know, tends to overanalyze, you know, a real estate investment? Well, I think each person has to understand their personality bent. And I am, I can relate to those people that overanalyze. I can, I, I get it. I really do. Uh, for me, um, I would love to uh, run the numbers backwards and forwards and, and try to see if I'm missing anything, so to speak, uh, that would make it easier to pull the trigger. But what I've realized is that if I do that, um, I am increasing the odds that this deal will not close at all because the, the seller is not going to put up with it for long. And so they need to have somebody come alongside them, <clears throat> so to speak, that is one who is more of a big picture type person and tell them, you know, now's the time. Either we have enough uh, uh, information, uh, you know, enough information on the property to proceed or we don't. And then ask them, what does your gut tell you at this point? You, or do you have a feel for what, you, you know, you're really thinking? And mm -hmm. I think there needs to be that, that gut check on a regular basis and they need, they need to have somebody, maybe one of their advisors who realizes maybe that 
person likes to overanalyze to mm-hmm. come alongside them and, and, and kind of prod them on to either say, yes, this is something I really would like to get involved in, or it doesn't make any difference. I could get more and more information and I'm still going to say no. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's what they have to do. Great. Thank you for that. Now, you know, something that, you know, we're opposite now, now we're going to go into the six real estate calculations that every investor needs to know. Mm-hmm. You know, to be knowledgeable um, as a commercial real estate investor does require a solid grasp of the numbers. I'm the first one to, uh, to say that. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think we can get caught up uh, sometimes too much in the numbers which is kind of ironic that's coming from me because I love playing with the numbers. I really do. (laughs) Um, But um, there are six different types of calculations that an investor needs to fully understand. And what I typically find is that even my highly successful investors that I invest with, they generally only know two or or maybe two or three of these six really well. And the other ones they're clueless about. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not so sure it's how important it is over the uh, long term, how well you must know these, but it, it, to me, it makes sense. So the first one is, how is commercial real estate valued? You know, talking about cap rates and net operating income and things of that sort. So the first one is the valuation of commercial real estate. <clears throat> the second one is, how do you determine the loan amount based on a lender's underwriting parameters? Most people don't understand that it isn't the isn't this, this um, the seller's pro forma or the borrower, the the buyer's pro forma that will determine the the loan amount? It's how the lender underwrites uh, that property, and they generally have uh, seven different rules of thumb that they use. You know, each lender is a little bit different, but they they have these different guidelines that they follow, and it generally uh, those those guidelines will lower the loan amount. And you need to know that up front because it'll have an impact on, on your uh, cash on cash return. So number three is how do you calculate a property's cash on cash return? And then how does leverage impact a property's cash on cash return? Mm-hmm. And right now, um, probably shouldn't bring this up because it's a long conversation, but <laughs> we, we just in the last year went from a from positive leverage, where for every dollar of debt that you, you add to a property, it actually improves your cash on cash return, to in the last year, we have flipped to a, to a negative leverage situation for every dollar you add now, because interest rates have risen significantly, for every dollar you add, you now are lowering your cash on cash return. And you should, you should know this before you get into, uh, into investing. So that's number four. Number five is, how does loan amortization impact your investment? Many times people say, well, what I want is the, my, I want a, the lowest interest rate possible. No, you really don't want the lowest interest rate possible. What you want is the lowest mortgage payment possible. And, and that is more of a function of your amortizations because some lenders will provide you a 25 year AM and others will provide you a 30 year AM. And if you have a slightly higher interest rate with a 30 year AM, that mortgage payment is gonna be significantly less than with a um, uh, with a 25 year AM and a and a uh, lower uh, interest rate, so you need to understand that. And then the sixth thing is, what are the financial re- uh, requirements lenders require of borrowers in order for them to be approved for a loan? And th- it does change from one, you know, it isn't uh, monolithic. Lenders aren't monolithic, but they do have certain guidelines 
that um, many will follow. And it's good to know what they are in advance. So in the book, I, I give the reader a short 10-question uh, quiz to find out how knowledgeable they are on these six different types of commercial real estate calculations. And, and it gives the reader a good understanding of where they stack up compared to their peers. And for those uh, questions they got wrong, I, I try to explain in detail um, uh, you know, how these commercial real estate formulas are calculated. And I found, uh, Scott, that over, uh, I probably had a couple hundred different people take the quiz, that the average score on that uh, a 10 question quiz is four. Uh, hmm. So, and there's, I've only had two people that have gotten a 10 uh, on, on the quiz. So there's a lot of improvement to be made uh, by those who have taken the, uh, taken this quiz. Yeah. It, I'm a firm believer in that, you know, it's, it's, it's education always. I don't think there's ever a point, you know, and, I, and you have much more experience than me. And I think it's, and I'm sure you're going to echo this thought is I don't think we're ever going to know everything we need to know. And we're still learning and we're still, you know, reading to this day. And I, I love how we have that great conversation. Hey, what, you know, great books have you read? And, you know, I, I know you echo that same thought when it comes to education. Absolutely. No. And uh, I love, I love the interview so far. You know, I, I have a couple more questions before we wrap things up, Doug. And typically I asked the interviewee three. So the, the first combined question is what's the best advice you've ever received on business or real estate? Well, I, I think that um, on business that I see that, that people consistently aren't doing is to be 110, 110% committed to your career. I see a lot of people that are just trying to be good enough and uh, not trying to excel. And I, I think that's a big mistake. I, I think that when the next, you know, if you're, if you're uh, an employee, the people that will, will they'll continue to keep uh, during the next re recession are those people that are excellent at their craft. Mm -hmm. And I think over the years, you want to become the expert in your field. So um, that's what I would tell. That's the best advice I've ever had. And it, and it has served me well over the years. Uh, to become the, the expert in your field. Right now, I'm trying to become the thought leader in commercial real estate and um, on the financing side as well. So I would say that probably is it. Great. Now, what about the best advice you've ever received in life? Well, uh, <clears throat> I have to think of my dad who passed away a number of years ago, but he was an excellent role model, but he was an absolutely a lousy teacher. Uh, <laughs> he, ne he never taught me anything. He never said, Doug, you should do these things. This is a principle that I think you should learn. Rather, he just lived his own set of values and he was excellent at that. And he had um, some life principles that uh, I've, I've adopted or tried my best to adopt over the years. One is to live within my means. Um, don't uh, spend more money than, than you, you know, than you have is a really a good life lesson. Uh, secondly, uh, treat everyone equally, you know, show no favor, favoritism to the wealthy or powerful. He had, he had uh, surprisingly a number of people that were in that, that category of wealthy or, or powerful. He was somehow he was politically connected. I never quite understood that, but he also had a, um, he has a hobby. He was a, he owned um, uh, 
uh, trees. He had a number of uh, forested uh, areas uh, that he loved to uh, spend his time on. And he got to know all the, the day laborers and the people that uh, you know were out there uh, harvesting his timber and things of that sort. And he didn't treat them any differently than he treated those people that were in high positions. And I think that was uh, admirable of him. And then finally, um, uh, I saw a number of occasions where uh, he would try to create a win-win type of agreement so that both people in the agreement felt like they got what they wanted. He never tried to make it a win-lose situation. He always tried to leave a little bit on the table so that uh, the person he was negotiating with uh, wanted to proceed and felt like he was being fairly treated. Mm. Well, those are strong words. And, you know, I echo that same thought. I love when I came across in the book, you know, the lessons that you learned from your father and your mother. And, and my dad was a huge influence to me and, and part of the big reason that I got pushed into real estate. And I love that. And I, I, I think you did a wonderful job writing the book, putting it together and, the, the education and knowledge that you have alone, you know, in that book is, is well worth its weight in gold. So I appreciate your time so much today for being on the show, Doug, uh, before we kick things off, uh, I'd love to hear when the book releases officially and where the listeners can find out more about you and where they can purchase the book. Well, thank you. And I, I, I thank you for those kind words, Scott. I, I greatly appreciate it. I kind of like to leave uh, with this thought in mind. You know, there's, there's real wealth to be created in owning commercial real estate. And it's not a myth. And it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It actually works. And if, if your goal is to achieve financial freedom, then I believe strongly that real estate investing is the surest path to get there. And I believe my book, Mastering the Art of Commercial Real Estate Investing, can help you in, in that endeavor. And the book launches uh, December 18th uh, from Amazon. And you can either go to my website, uh, which is Marshall Commercial Funding, would be marshallcf.com, uh, and go to my, my book's landing page. And you can uh, look. There's six different uh, locations, uh, online uh, bookstores that you can, you can get it from. If you'd like to, you can go to Amazon. It's uh, currently pre-order from Amazon right now. And, the, and as I say, the book is coming out August, or excuse me, December uh, 18th. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much, Doug. Uh, really enjoyed the show today and all the knowledge that you've uh, given to our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that concludes our book club interview with author Doug Marshall, who's coming out with his new book, Mastering the Art of Commercial Real Estate Investing, where he teaches us to successfully build wealth and grow passive income from your rental properties. In his book, you're going to learn about why investing in rental properties makes so much sense for your financial future. you learn about the best possible loan for your property type, how to best manage your property to reduce risk, when to buy, when not to buy, and so much more. And Doug is such a great investor with so much experience of over 35 years, and he's, he's put together all that knowledge that he's gained over the years working with other investors and through investments himself. I highly recommend you pick up a copy. It's it's a bargain for the price it is. It's going to be coming out real soon. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. That's it for today. My name is Scott Hollister, your host, and we'll see you next time.